While the media incessantly focus on Trump, they studiously avoid scrutinizing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Trump vows to declassify all documents surrounding Russiagate, and the political world goes berserk after Trump vows to kill stimulus talks. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like the government spying on you? Well, then visit expressvpn.com slash Ben to stay anonymous. All righty. So tonight, the big Biden, well, Harris-Pence debate. And, and, and I should say that this debate should take on more significance than normally a VP debate would, considering that Joe Biden is 78 years old. He does not look as though he is all there. And of course, Mike Pence is probably the best defender of the Trump agenda that the Trump administration has. He's a better defender in many cases of the Trump agenda than Trump himself. So tonight will be an opportunity for Pence to put front and center the fact that Biden-Harris would be very scary for the country. It is pretty incredible, truly, that the entire country has completely ignored the other side of the ticket. It's, it's pretty impressive. Everybody's focused in on Trump. Some of that's Trump's fault because Trump loves being in the spotlight. But if Trump loses, if Trump loses, what is going to happen to the country is going to be something quite radical. It could be a significant change. And we all seem to be ignoring this because all of the focus is on Trump. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that right now things are pretty volatile. You may have noticed that the stock market took a dump yesterday after President Trump started tweeting about relief talks and all of this. Well, the stock market's been up and down like a yo-yo. It may not, in fact, be the best place to put your money in the short term. In fact, if you're going to have some money in the stock market, which I do, I have lots of money in the stock market, you want to diversify and have at least a little more of your money in something like precious metals. You want to make sure that you are diversified into a bunch of different assets so that when the stock market goes down and precious metals go up, you don't end up losing a lot of money. And right now, again, uncertainty breeds all sorts of craziness in the stock market. It creates the possibility of inflation. I mean, we just blew out the spending to the tune of $7 trillion. Now would be a good time to diversify into precious metals. What do you do to do that? Well, you hang out with my friends over at Birch Gold. Text Ben to 474747. One of the great people at Birch Gold will then walk you through your conversion of your eligible IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA where the physical metal, not ETFs, will be stored securely. Birch Gold, they're my dudes. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and countless five-star reviews. Talk to them. They are extremely knowledgeable. They can help you preserve your savings. Text Ben to 474747. Open a Precious Metals IRA today. Again, text Ben to 474747. Text Ben to 474747. So as I said yesterday with regard to this election, the basic state of the election is thus. If the focus is on Trump when people walk into the ballot box, then Trump is going to lose. If the focus is on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, then Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to lose. Trump has a pathological inability to remove himself from the spotlight. He loves the spotlight. He loves being in the center of the spotlight. And that means that he has put himself at a severe disadvantage. Well, tonight is an opportunity for Mike Pence, who really does not love the spotlight in the same way as Trump, to put the Biden-Harris agenda front and center. And this is going to need to happen because the reality is, again, that right now all focus is on Trump and that has allowed all of us and I mean like most of the American people, to simply ignore what is happening on the other side of the aisle, a Democratic Party that has moved in a radical direction. I know that we are pretending that the squad is basically a thing of the past, but what actually happened is that Bernie Sanders' agenda, the squad's agenda, they've been laundered into the Joe Biden agenda. Bernie Sanders says it himself. He says that the Joe Biden agenda is the most radical agenda since FDR. The squad is going to be running things when it comes to things like the Green New Deal. AOC is an advisor on the Biden campaign with regard to the Green New Deal. Joe Biden is not going to be a bulwark against radicalism. There have been no indicators he's going to be a bulwark against radicalism. He won't even answer basic questions like whether he is in favor of killing the filibuster and packing the Supreme Court. And many of the Senate candidates for the Democrats are saying the same thing. They're just refusing to answer questions. They understand that as long as there's this black hole at the center of American politics sucking up all the attention, they can just sit there on the outskirts of American politics and point at Trump and never have to answer tough questions. Mark Kelly, who's running a... a winning race right now against Martha McSally in Arizona. He refused to answer a question the other night in debate with McSally on whether he is in favor of the filibuster. But wouldn't that be something you'd want to know if you're voting for a senator, whether they actually wish to end minority rights completely in the Senate? Wouldn't that be something that you would want to know? Apparently, he doesn't think he has to answer. And the media are not going to press the Democrats on this stuff. So understand that if Trump loses, radical things are going to happen. It's going to be a victory for a bunch of people who you probably don't want to see win. It's going to be a, a victory for the radicals in the Democratic Party. It is going to be a victory for a media that has turned all of its guns on Trump. Now, as I've said, Trump has, has cast himself many self-inflicted wounds. But 
the media have been so overwhelmingly anti-Trump. I mean, it, it is far more than it was with Bush. It was bad with Bush. It is way worse with Trump. They hate Trump with every fiber of their being. Over 90% of all media coverage of Trump since his inauguration has been negative. It's a victory for a media that is driving the American political narrative. It's a victory for folks inside the bureaucracy of the government who think that they ought to control the, the power of American government, not the legislature, not the states. It all ought to be done at the federal level. It's a victory for all the forces in America that were temporarily checked by Trump's election in the first place. And that's why this election actually matters an awful lot. It's one of the reasons why I've been critical of Trump's behavior over the last couple of weeks. Because if you would like to see Trump win, then he needs to change his behavior. Something certainly needs to change. And the American people need to be forcibly reminded, forcefully reminded rather, they need to be forcefully reminded of exactly what is going to happen if Trump loses. What's going to be? Right? What comes next? Because no one's thinking beyond the next 10 seconds. People are just thinking, do I like Trump? Do I not like Trump? No one is thinking medium term, let alone long term. And right now, the polls are reflecting this. Okay, the polls show that this race seems to have broken wide open nationally. According to the Real Clear Politics poll average, Joe Biden is now leading in that Real Clear Politics poll average by nine points. The last several polls, and this is, this is the last four polls in the Real Clear Politics poll average, have Biden up respectively 16, 10, 8, and 10. Okay, those, are, those are devastatingly large numbers. Hillary Clinton, even after the Access Hollywood tape, never led by more than about seven points. So these are big numbers for Joe Biden. And people should recognize that those are numbers for Joe Biden, not just against Trump. You actively have to cast your vote, not just against Trump, but in favor of a candidate who is enthralled to the radical left while he pretends that he's actually a bulwark against the radical left. What's more, if Trump were to lose big, right, not just lose, but lose big, he could take the Senate with him. And this is an arena where if you're a voter, you really should consider the consequences of your actions. A Biden presidency with a Republican Senate looks very different than a Biden, a Biden presidency with a Democratic Senate. And right now, if there were no toss-ups in the real clear politics poll average, Democrats would control the Senate. They'd have 51 votes in the Senate. Right now, there are a bunch of races that are very, very close. North Carolina is becoming closer and closer. Georgia with Sonny Perdue. I think Perdue wins that race. But Maine is a very close race with Susan Collins up for re-election. In Iowa, Joni Ernst is up for re-election. And her opponent, a person named Greenfield, is apparently winning in the real clear politics poll average by five. Montana is very close. Steve Daines, who's a Republican, probably will hold that seat, but it is a close election. Mark Kelly is winning in fairly large numbers in Arizona over Martha McSally. South Carolina has been moved recently by Cook Political from a lean R to a toss-up, which is insane. Lindsey Graham won his last re-election campaign by 14 points. 14 points. Now he's in a toss-up race in South Carolina. Colorado is already leaning against Cory Gardner. Now, Republicans need to hold at least five seats in order for them to maintain the majority in the Senate. Because remember, if Kamala Harris becomes vice president, she would be the tiebreaker in the Senate in case of a 50-50 tie in the Senate. Right now, it doesn't look like Republicans are going to hold those five seats. In fact, it looks like Republicans, of the eight seats that are, that are really contested, it looks like Republicans could easily lose five of those seats. So that's why the margin of victory for, for Trump or margin of loss, that, that margin is actually going to matter an awful lot. And the emboldening of all the forces in American life that are making American life significantly worse will grow worse, not better, with Trump losing. I know that people have personal problems with Trump. I, I share many of the concerns about Trump's personality. But if you're talking about the deep, abiding problems in American life, they are far worse than Trump's personality foibles and flaws and his stupid tweeting. Okay, If we're talking about serious problems in America, problems that are going to be exacerbated over the course of time, the glorification of a media that has gone completely left partisan while claiming to be objective, the justification of that media, the strengthening of that media apparatus, the strengthening of the radical left wing of the Democratic Party under the auspices of Joe Biden's moderation. I mean, the man is a facade at this point, and we all know that he is a facade. He's a Potemkin village of a candidate. The, the bureaucracy that has kicked back against Trump in harsh measures, we'll see. All those forces will be strengthened. And all those forces are, in fact, rather anti-democratic. They are not in favor of your individual rights. They are not forces who are in favor of truth or in favor of objectivity. There is another side to this election. We've all neglected it for too long, and it's time to cast a light on that. Here's a, here's a perfect example. Okay, so right now, the Senate majority may rest on this, this, this election in North Carolina. So in North Carolina, Tom Tillis, who is a solid Republican, is running for re-election against Cal Cunningham, who's a former state senator, a Democrat. Well, 
Cal Cunningham has started to drop a little bit in the polls. Now that now it's basically straight up even. One of the reasons that it is straight up even is because Cal Cunningham has admitted to now sending romantic texts to a woman who is not his wife. He said in a statement to CNN, I've hurt my family, disappointed my friends. I'm deeply sorry. The first step in repairing those relationships is taking complete responsibility, which I do. I ask that my family's privacy be respected in this personal matter. He backed out of a town hall scheduled for Monday night. The messages are, uh, this is CNN's coverage, right? This is when I say that you are that you are you know, being treated to the worst of media bias is Chris Chaliza over at CNN. The messages are far from tawdy. They read like 1950s letters, but the very fact that they exist does throw a major X factor into the Senate race. Okay, well, actually, it turns out that now the news seems to be breaking that Cal Cunningham was having romantic assignations with this particular person. So they weren't 1950s texts, actually. Right? There's an actual sex scandal that has been going on in this particular race. That there were new texts that were revealed in a new report from the Associated Press, Arlene Guzman-Todd, a woman from California, confirmed that she and Cunningham had been intimate in July. So it turns out it wasn't just a texting scandal or a sexting scandal. And additional text messages between Guzman-Todd and a third unidentified individual further described the details of their relationship. The AP report is the first corroboration of a physical consensual relationship between Cunningham and Guzman-Todd. Those previously reported they'd exchanged sexually suggestive text messages. But CNN originally tried to paint this as 1950s style romantic language via text. Uh-huh. So, yes, well done, media. This is the same media. Again, we are strengthening these folks. And we are strengthening these folks. These are the same media who are now glorifying Katie Hill. Now, you may remember the name Katie Hill because she was, of course, the representative from California who had to resign her seat after it turns out she was banging the help. Right? Katie Hill, who was having an affair with a male staffer, and she was also having an affair with a female staffer, and she's just at a light. Now, imagine if she had been a man. Imagine that she were a male member of Congress and she were nailing the help. She would have not only been forced to resign, she would never come back. There'd be no career for her in the future. Now, Katie Hill is having a movie made about her by Hollywood. Elizabeth Moss is now attached to play former Congresswoman Katie Hill in an adaptation of her memoir. So she wrote a memoir about how she was the true victim of her own inability to control her loins. And now we are supposed to believe that she is actually the victim because Hollywood is going to write an entire story around her with her as the hero. Code Black creator Michael Seitzman, who wrote the feature film North Country, will write the screenplay. It comes after the producer Blumhouse Television optioned the rights to She Will Rise, becoming a warrior in the battle for true equality, which was published earlier this summer. The book tells of Hill's experience as a young woman with no prior political experience, whose charm and common sense won over the people in her district and thrust her into the halls of power in Washington. While her brash confidence won her powerful allies and infuriated her enemies, it was privately concealing a cycle of domestic abuse she was trapped in at home, infamously culminating in the release of intimate photos and the revelation of her own admitted personal mistakes that would eventually result in her stunning fall from grace. Hill will executive produce the movie, along with Moss and Lindsay McManus. Imagine they got a Republican male congressperson banging the help. You think they get a movie deal where they get to executive produce their own story about how they were truly a victim of right-wing predation? What do you think? Katie Hill said, I wrote She Will Rise to try and take back my story from those who have exploited and twisted it. I also wanted to shine a light on the stories of women whose resilience and bravery gave me strength when I needed it most. Okay, well, hilariously enough, the former staff of Katie Hill hijacked her Twitter account last night. Right? They logged into her Twitter account because it turns, it, it turns out that she was not smart enough not only not to nail the help, but also to prevent the help from hacking her Twitter account without two-factor identification. Turn on the two-factor identification, lady. So they, they hijacked her Twitter account. And here's what they wrote on her Twitter account. Katie's former staff here, disappointed in so many folks, including Elizabeth Moth, Elizabeth Moss, Blumhouse, and Michael Seitzman regarding today's announcement. Katie took advantage of her subordinates. She caused immense harm to the people who worked for her, many of whom were young women just beginning their careers in politics. Katie Hill can be both a victim and a perpetrator, and staff can experience severe consequences for speaking out against their powerful bosses. But this is your media, right? This is your Hollywood apparatus. These are the people who create a tsunami of misinformation. And if Biden wins, then that point of view has been vindicated. This media apparatus, this Hollywood, that has all been vindicated. So the goal right now, politically speaking, of the Biden campaign is to, to declare the campaign over. The campaign's over. We still have a month to go. Doesn't matter. Campaign is dead. Yesterday, Joe Biden said that if Trump has COVID by the time of the debate, then we still shouldn't debate. Okay, well, first of all, theoretically, you could take precautions. Second of all, by the time they have the debate, that's going to be October 15th is the next debate. That is eight days away. And Trump, according to his doctors, is already asymptomatic. He's already post-symptomatic, rather. So assuming no actual, assuming no actual change in his health status, 
he's going to be perfectly capable of debate. Here is Biden trying to set the predicate for saying there won't be any more debates. I don't know what uh, exactly what the rules are going to be, and I'm not sure that uh, what President Trump is all about now. I don't know what his status is. I'm looking forward to being able to debate him, but I just hope all the protocols are followed which necessary at the time. Do you feel safe in the same room as somebody who still may have COVID? Well, uh, I think if he still has COVID, we shouldn't have a debate. Okay, so th- there it is. If he still has COVID, we shouldn't have a debate. This is already setting the groundwork. Over at the New York Times, the editorial board says in-person debates are too dangerous. We should cancel the in-person debates. They say, with the coronavirus continuing to spread through the White House and among others close to Trump, the risk of infecting debate participants and staff is unacceptably high. The involved media outlets and the Commission on Presidential Debates need to immediately shift the events to a virtual format, which, of course, radically changes all of the optics of a particular debate and changes it into a Zoom meeting, which is not exactly what you want from a presidential debate. So no shock here. You know, the media are already trying to declare the election over. They're also trying to declare Kamala Harris the preliminary winner of a debate that has not yet taken place. Again, these are the same media. One of the Trump has campaigned against the media. When he said to Chris Wallace, I'm campaigning against you and Joe Biden, what he meant, broadly speaking, is correct, that he has been campaigning against both the media and the Democrats. And that is a heavy burden for anyone. And it was a heavy burden for Bush, McCain, Romney. It's a particularly heavy burden for Trump because Trump has been absolutely excoriated by the press every waking moment since 2015. There's no question about that. And that carries over for the New York Times today. Wait until you hear their take on the debate between Pence and Harris tonight. And then we'll get to the actual consequences of electing somebody like Joe Biden, which is something Americans should have to stare straight in the face of, considering that that will be the result of voting against Trump. In just one second, let's talk about that first. Let's talk about how you can make doing business easier during these trying and wild times. One thing you probably don't want to do, head on down to the post office. Like, why would you want to stand in line at the post office? Post office is great, but that's just not something you want to do. Instead, why not just do all of this stuff from home or from the office with stamps.com? Stamps.com makes doing business easier during these wild times. Thousands of small business owners have discovered the benefits of stamps.com in recent months. They've been able to keep their businesses running and avoid the crowds at the post office all from their own computers. With stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and avoid going to the post office. You'll save money with discounted rates you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62%, no residential surcharges. Here at Daily Wire, we've been using Stamps.com since 2017. We're not wasting our time. Stamps.com brings all the mailing and shipping services you need directly to your computer in the comfort of your home or office. Whether you're a small business sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products, or whether you're just working from home and you need to mail some stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. I've been using Stamps.com since long before they were actually a sponsor of the program. And again, you get great discounts, five cents off every stamp, up to 62% off USPS and UPS shipping rates. Right now, my listeners get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and digital scale, no long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. That is Stamps.com, enter Shapiro again, Stamps.com, enter Shapiro. Okay, so here is the New York Times. Here is how they are covering the the Harris Pence debate. Okay, this is pretty impressive. For all Ms. Harris's meticulous work, her team is deeply cognizant of the unique challenges facing her as the first black woman ever to win a place on a presidential ticket. Okay, first of all, there is no unique challenge. There's only unique benefit. Seriously, there's only unique benefit. Kamala Harris has experienced no challenge in being a black woman in a position of high power in American politics. Not since she was a DA in California. The fact is, it has only been an asset to her. Because if she were a white lady, she would not be on the ticket right now. She would be Amy Klobuchar, and she'd be off in Minnesota doing Zoom sessions for DNC little crowds. She would not be a famous person right now were she not a black woman. Kamala Harris. She'd just be like any other rote Democratic politician because she is not good at this. She's not Michelle Obama. She's not uniquely talented. Because she's actually kind of bad at this, as we're going to explore in just a second. But again, this is New York Times media coverage. Right, this is Sydney Ember and Lisa Lehrer. This is their reporting. Okay, this is not an opinion piece. Her team is deeply cognizant of the unique challenges facing her as the first black woman ever to win a place on a presidential ticket. While many Democrats view Ms. Harris as barrier-breaking hero, Fox News hosts and conservative media outlets have mounted racist and sexist assaults on her reputation, painting her as a radical leftist. Well, that, that, there it is. I mean, if the New York Times says so. How dare, how dare conservative media outlets paint her as a radical leftist after she embraced Medicare for all racial reparations, and killing the filibuster, and spent her days during the Kavanaugh hearings attempting to claim 
that she had evidence that he was secretly in league with the Russians. Now, she's not a radical left. You know, only somebody who's racist could say that Kamala Harris is on the radical left. Only somebody, she, by the way, she has one of the most left-wing voting records in the entire United States Senate. And by some measures, she's left of Bernie Sanders in her voting record. But don't worry, it's only crazy right-wingers who are, who are painting her as a radical leftist according to your very objective media. Right? All of the attacks on her, I, th- that paragraph is so, that encapsulates everything that the media are. It really does, right? That, that she faces unique challenges as a black woman. And also, if you say anything bad about Kamala Harris, it's because you're a racist. So what you're telling me is that her unique challenge is that every time somebody says something accurate about her, the media are going to malign that person as a bigot. That doesn't seem like a challenge. That seems like a benefit. That doesn't seem like she's having a hard time. It sounds like she's having a really easy time specifically because she's a black woman, particularly in the media. And then who do they quote in this article, the New York Times, about Kamala Harris? Hillary Clinton, there you go. They go back to the last victim, Hillary Clinton, one of the least victimized people in the history of American politics. Because remember, Hillary Clinton was a non-entity, no-name, who married the president of the United States, right? She was married to Bill Clinton. That is how she became famous. Otherwise, she was just a, a another lawyer from Yale, right? She had a sterling record as a lawyer from Yale and she'd be working in corporate law right now. Or she might be, you know, a state senator in New York. But now Hillary Clinton is a nationally known name because she married the guy who would become president of the United States. And then on the basis of that name, if her name were Hillary Rodham, she would not have been a senator from New York. And she certainly would not have been vice president. She certainly would not have been secretary of state or a presidential candidate. But we're going to go back to another victim of the American system, Hillary Clinton, one of the least victimized people in the history of American politics. She said at a fundraiser with Harris last month, what Mike Pence will try to do is somehow subtly undercut Kamala. She has to modulate her responses because we know there still is a double standard alive and well when it comes to women in politics. So the, 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 the debate has already been settled, according to the media. According to the media, the debate between Pence and Harris, no matter what Pence says, it's sexist. If he just disagrees with her, that is sexist. If at any point during the debate, she interrupts him, that's stand up women and roar. And if Pence interrupts her, that is him mansplaining. Remember, when Trump, if, if Trump loses, the media are the people who are most emboldened by this because they have taken down the sitting president of the United States, despite the fact that he defeated them last time. All right, so as to the actual debate, what is that going to look like? So apparently there was some argument over whether to use plexiglass barriers at this debate with Harris. They will put up these plexiglass barriers, apparently. After the Commission on Presidential Debates announced plans for Kamala Harris and Vice President Pence to debate Wednesday while sitting more than a dozen feet apart and behind plexiglass dividers to prevent viral transmission, aides to Pence said they felt the barriers were unnecessary. We don't think it's needed, said Mark Short. There's no science to support it. The tables are 12 feet apart. Each participant is tested. It's important for the American people that a debate go forward. If she's more comfortable with plexiglass, then that's fine. The Biden campaign was on board with the precautions. Senator Harris will be at the debate respecting the protections the Cleveland Clinic has put in place to promote safety for all concerned, said Sabrina Singh, spokeswoman for Harris. If the Trump administration's war on masks has now become a war on safety shields, that tells you everything you need to know about why their COVID response is a failure. Okay, well, if indeed they are sitting 12 feet apart, I am not sure that the plexiglass barriers, which extend only like just above their heads, I'm not sure that that provides the kind of protection you need because presumably if what you're deeply worried about is the aerosolization of particles, for example, particles from your mouth do not travel 12 feet. Unless, unless you were to like sneeze and just projectile, then really what you're worried about is aerosolization. If you're worried about aerosolization, then presumably they need to both perform this debate like John Travolta and the boy from the bubble. will actually get some plastic bubbles. They can sit in them like a hamster ball. And, uh, and that's how they can do the debate. Chris Wallace, the Fox News anchor who moderated the first presidential debate, said last week Trump was not tested by the Cleveland Clinic before taking the stage. Organizers relied on an honor system for the vice presidential debate. The commission said Harris and Pence will be COVID tested prior to the debate. Unclear which entity will oversee that testing. Susan Page, the Washington bureau chief of USA Today, will not announce her question topics ahead of time. And Page is expected to be seated 12 feet, three inches from both of the candidates. Okay, so what are we likely to see tonight? The media have already decided preemptively that Harris has won the debate. They've already decided that she, because she is a woman, hear her roar. She has won the debate. The New York Times reports she is a barrier-breaking hero. Now, here is my prediction for the debate tonight. I don't think that Harris is going to do well. I don't think she's good at debate. I think Harris had one moment in a debate, and she literally could not back it up. It turns out that her strategy, typically, is to make some sort of wild, unverified allegation. The media cheer because they think that maybe she has something to verify it, and then it turns out she's got nothing. She did this with Brad Kavanaugh. She suggested that he had been meeting with the Kasowitz Law Firm. Ooh, Trump's law firm to somehow do something bad. She never really specified what. And then she sort of dropped that line of inquiry. She went out there. She sort of implied maybe that 
Brett Kavanaugh was a rapist, maybe just a little rapey. And then it turns out she had nothing to back it up. And of course, you'll recall that in her first debate with Joe Biden, she dropped an allegation on him that she then backed off of immediately. Kamala Harris is a very bad politician. And I expect that Mike Pence will actually have the opportunity. Like, I'm looking forward to the debate tonight, as opposed to some of the presidential debates, which I thought, and I've been saying for years, were going to be Chewbacca versus the Swedish chef. We wouldn't get to any content. We certainly wouldn't get any clarification of how the candidates actually thought about issues. I think that you will get some clarification tonight, and I think Pence is going to do a good job. He did a good job last time against Tim Kaine. We'll get into more of this in a second. And we'll get into the Harris agenda, because remember, the chances that Kamala Harris becomes president are very, very high if Joe Biden becomes president. Joe Biden is 78 years old. He's obviously doddering. He's obviously on his last legs. The chances he's going to leave office at the age of 86 are pretty low, right? If he wins, you think he's running for re-election at 82? And maybe he is, but if he is diminished, if the different, if the, if the, the diminishment between, if the delta between 2000 and and 16 and 2020 for Joe Biden is the same as the Delta, the same as the change between 2020 and 2024. He's not going to be able to speak by the time we hit 2024. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that these days you might want to protect yourself. We were seeing record gun sales these days. There's a reason for that. People are fearful about their freedoms. They're fearful about the future of the country. They're fearful about their safety in many of America's biggest cities and even in the suburbs because you never know where the next riot is going to break out and whether somebody's going to try to burn down your business. You know who knows this? The folks over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. Bravo Company was started in the garage of a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps in Heartland, Wisconsin. The people at Bravo Company Manufacturing support the right of responsible private individuals to have the access and ability to employ the same tools as civilian law enforcement as a means of defending ourselves, our loved ones, our communities, and our freedoms should a threatening situation ever arise. Bravo Company Manufacturing, this is not a sporting arms company. They understand that primarily guns are not really for hunting or for target shooting or for fun, that primarily they need to operate in emergency situations where your life is under actual threat. Guns are life-saving equipment, and BCM knows this. They assume that when a rifle leaves their shop, it will be used in a life or death situation by a responsible citizen, a law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas, qualities of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. To learn more, about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That is bravocompanymfg.com. If you need more convincing, find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. So let's just flash back to Kamala Harris's performance thus far and what you will get with a President Kamala Harris. The only question with Kamala Harris, who's an extraordinarily opportunistic politician, and she is somebody who will say literally anything in order to get ahead in her career, anything. The only question is whether if she were president, she would be pragmatic like Bill Clinton, meaning that if she felt the wind was blowing in favor of moderation, she would pursue that win, or whether as president, she would feel liberated from her shackles and she could finally do the ideological things she has always wanted to do. And it's really unclear with Kamala Harris because she's taken every position it is possible to take, like all of them, every single position. She also happens to be deeply dishonest. And she, she, would be a, she would be a deeply dishonest president in a different way than the media say Trump is dishonest. And the media will say, oh, look at Trump, he's lying again. He's saying something that's untrue again. Donald Trump speaks, he's, he's bilingual. He speaks English, but his, his first language is hyperbole. Right? Donald Trump is, the, he, he speaks hyperbole. And so what the media like to do is they take his hyperbolic statements and then they treat them as though they are non-hyperbolic. This is something that apparently has become very common in the media. I've noticed it the last few days where I'll tweet an obvious joke and then the media will treat it as though I'm not saying a joke at all. I'll say something that is absolutely 100% a joke. It is clear to anyone who has a sentient part of their brain that it is a joke. And then members of the media are like, oh, he's probably not joking. Let's take it seriously. Trump gets that treatment all the time. So they say he is dishonest because he's hyperbolic. And it is also true that Trump says things that sometimes are just blatantly not true. Kamala Harris is much more subtle. She makes claims that are kind of true and kind of not, but she has no real substantiation. And then she waits for people to draw inferences from them. So she's a clever liar, right? She's not an obvious liar. She's a clever liar. So how would you like to have Kamala Harris as your president? Because again, remember, I said this the day she was nominated. By nominating Kamala Harris, Joe Biden was making himself secondary to the campaign. And if the Trump campaign had not been so focused in on whatever it is Trump wanted to do that day, they would have focused in on Kamala Harris, who is a deeply unlikable radical who was so bad at her job that she dropped out of the Democratic primaries before they even hit California because she knew she was going to get skunked in her home state. So as president, Kamala Harris would be dishonest, like Clintonian dishonest. 
The presumption is she would be radical because she has been radical in her actual voting record. And she would be deeply vicious because she has insulted huge swaths of Americans as racist for not supporting her, for not supporting Joe Biden. She is like Barack Obama without any of the charm, basically. So if you liked the Obama administration, particularly what it did to America, you would love a Harris administration. And conversely, if you didn't like Barack Obama's administration, if you thought that Barack Obama was radical enough for you and divisive enough for you, then get ready, because Kamala Harris will double down on that to the nth degree. She's a more obvious politician. She's less subtle. She does not use a stiletto. She uses a machete. Okay, so here, let's just remind, let's walk down memory lane with Kamala Harris in preparation for the debate tonight. So you'll remember, this was the moment when we all learned that Kamala Harris was supposedly a great debater. This is where Kamala Harris called her running mate a racist, essentially. It's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So much emotion in her voice. And then her campaign had a T-shirt up on her campaign website within moments. I said, by the way, I, I said this at the time that he was being unfairly maligned here, that opposing federal forced busing was not, in fact, the wrong policy in the 1970s, nor is it wrong policy today. And Kamala Harris would never, in fact, stand in favor of federally forced busing. But she attacked Joe Biden as a, as a racist. And then, of course, she backed off of it. You'll remember that Kamala Harris suggested that Joe Biden was, in fact, a sexual abuser. And then she backed off of this as well, right? This kind of disappeared into the ether. When, when there were accusers who came out and suggested that Joe Biden had touched them inappropriately or against their consent, she said, I believe the accusers. In fact, after this, she even went on to say maybe Joe Biden should drop out of the race. Here was Kamala Harris way back when. I believe them and I, I respect um, them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. Do you believe that the vice president should enter this race? Oh, he's going to have to make that decision for himself. Oh, I wouldn't tell him what to do. Himself. Now, she was asked about this, right? She has been asked about this. And her answer was, I'm focusing on Trump right now. And this is the answer of every single Democrat. Don't let that be the answer. They should have to answer basic questions about whether they believe, whether she believes that her running mate is a racist or a rapist, right? She, she ought to have to answer those particular questions since she threw out there those implications. She didn't overtly call him a racist. All she did was suggest that he would have stopped little girls like her, meaning a black little girl from going to an integrated public school. That's what she suggested on an open debate stage and then backed off of it. She suggested that she believed the accusers of Joe Biden and then she backed off of it. She's deeply dishonest and Pence should press on this tonight. She's deeply dishonest on the issues. You have no idea where she stands. Originally, in the, at the beginning of the campaign, she tried to hijack Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All shtick and then she ran directly away from the Medicare for All shtick. In fact, she told Axios on HBO, quote, I have to tell you, honestly, I knew it. I said to my team, we needed to do a better plan. This is not good enough. I said to my team, I know we're going to take a political hit for it. I knew that. I knew we were. I knew I'd be called a flip-flopper for that. Well, if you knew you were going to be called a flip-flopper for that, then why did you embrace Medicare for all in the first place? And the answer is because she's such a political animal. I mean, she, she is just a chameleonic politician with tendencies toward the radical left. Harris was asked specifically, for example, about the price tag of the Green New Deal. So she was a Senate co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. Now, the Green New Deal would cost, according to AOC's plan, some $93 trillion, $93 trillion, okay, which is crazy. She was asked about the price tag of what the Green New Deal would cost, and she just elided the question completely. $3 trillion a year for Medicare for all by some studies. I don't, depending on which portions of the Green New Deal you pick to do first, that's money. Uh, that you know what the Republicans are going to say, tax and spend liberals, pie in the sky. One of the things that I admire and respect is the measurement that is captured in three letters, ROI. Mm -hmm. What's the return on the investment? People in the private sector understand this really well. It's not about a cost, it's about an investment. And then the question should be, is it worth the cost in terms of the investment potential? Are we going to get back more than we put in? Okay, so this is the line that Biden has been using as well and Bernie Sanders, which is it doesn't matter how much money you spend on the Green New Deal ever because there will be green jobs at the end of it. Just like there were shovel-ready jobs at the end of Barack Obama's stimulus that never materialized. Just like the green jobs are, Van Jones produced zero green new jobs while he was on staff at the Obama administration. Kamala Harris was asked about whether she would be in favor of packing the Supreme Court. She refused to answer that question as well. 
So where the hell does this lady stand on anything? You don't know. All you know is her voting record, which is radically leftist. And you know her personality, which is deeply dishonest. And this lady will probably be president of the United States if Joe Biden is elected. Here she was failing to explain where she stands on expanding the Supreme Court. If uh, Judge Barrett is confirmed and uh, the Democrats have control of the Senate next year and the White House and the House of Representatives, should the Supreme Court be expanded? You know what, let's, I think that, first of all, Joe's been very clear that um, he is going to 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 pay attention to the fact, and I'm with him on this 1,000%, pay attention to the fact that right now, Lawrence, people are voting. <laughs> what is that? What the F is that? Right now, people are voting. So she won't answer whether she's packing the court. She won't answer Green New Deal questions on cost. She won't answer Medicare for all. She will not answer any serious policy question at all. Same thing with Joe Biden. They're all just going to point at Trump and the media will let them get away with it. And so if Joe Biden wins, here's who will be emboldened. The radical left who have never had to answer a simple question. The media who have dishonestly covered for the radical left and members, as we will see, of the so-called deep state, meaning members of the regulatory bodies of the American executive branch who acted in terrible fashion, as it turns out, in 2016 and who will be put back in positions of power if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were to gain the presidency. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is providing that facade for Democrats, right? The facade is that he is moderate old Joe, slow old Joe. So he gave another one of these generic speeches yesterday in Gettysburg. So at Gettysburg, he decried extremist groups again. Right? Now, th- this, is, this is the shtick for, for Joe Biden, is that when he says extremist groups, what he really means is like people who don't like him. I don't mean, like, it's, it's one thing if he wants to condemn white supremacists. We all condemn white supremacists, okay? Let's just be straight about this. Statistically speaking, white supremacists, are a dangerous, very, very, very small subsection of the American body politic. They are extremely dangerous when it comes to individual attacks on synagogues, for example. But when it comes to mass movements burning down cities, it's not white supremacists who are doing that. It is Antifa and it is Black Lives Matter. Joe Biden is first to the, he's first to the barricades when he's talking about so-called right-wing militias, by which apparently he means people like Kyle Rittenhouse, who is apparently going to Kenosha in order to protect private property before he got basically cut off from his crowd and ended up defending himself in the middle of a riot by all available evidence. So Joe Biden is always willing to condemn people who he thinks are not on his side. See, the, the real test for Joe Biden should have been months ago whether he was willing to have a sister soldier moment, as, as it was called when Bill Clinton condemned sister soldier who was sort of an anonymous, she's an anonymous black lady who was speaking about violence against the cops and he condemned it and it was considered like his big moment to stand up against the hard left. Joe Biden has never had to do that. Instead, he just goes out there and he says generic things about how violence is bad. And this is supposed to be enough of a pasteboard that you feel good about electing him. You're not supposed to look behind that curtain because behind that curtain, Joe Biden is not the Wizard of Oz. He's Kamala Harris with Joe Biden's face. And Kamala Harris has many faces, as it turns out. Some of them are radical. Some of them are simply politically expedient. We'll get to Joe Biden and his uh, Potemkin Village campaign in just one second. First, let's talk about upgrading the look and feel of your home. So if you look around your house, one of the things that you may notice now that I'm saying it is that your window coverings suck. I'm sorry to tell you they do. I didn't mean the first to be the first to tell you this, but you really need to upgrade those window coverings. You got the blinds from the wire that are hanging. You've got you know the, the old style curtains that are just ridden with dust and they're filthy. What you need are new window coverings. What's the best way to do this? Head on over to blinds.com. Blinds.com makes it simple to shop top quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. The experts at Blinds.com understand that window treatments are one of the household items you just don't think about, but they can make a huge impact on the look and feel of your home. You don't need to do a full renovation. By simply changing what's on your windows, you can change the way light comes into your home and create a totally different feel. Go to Blinds.com, just take a look at all the options. Faux wood blinds, cellular cellular and roller shades, even outdoor shades. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process. Plus, they guarantee the perfect fit, whether you're do-it-yourself or have the measure and install everything for you. Go right now. See how much you can save at blinds.com. And when you check out online, don't forget to tell them you heard about blinds.com from the Ben Shapiro show that helps us. It helps them as well. Rules and restrictions may apply. Go check out blinds.com right now. Again, blinds.com and upgrade the look and feel of your home. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to Joe Biden and his unifying message, which apparently is, I'm not a bad person, so vote for me. That, that, that is Joe Biden's unifying message. I will condemn all sorts of extremism so long as those extremists don't support me. If they do support me, then I don't recognize them and I don't know who they are. And sure, they're standing right there, but they don't exist. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us remind you 
tonight is the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. And we have an all access live. We are forcing, forcing the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh to live react to the debate. Join Matt tonight at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific at dailywire.com to live chat with him on the live stream and in the comments. If you're not part of Daily Wire already, join right now as an all-access member and get 20% off with code DEBATE so you can watch all of our upcoming debate coverage live at dailywire.com, Apple TV, or on the Roku. And join us on All Access Live every night for live stream discussions. You get not one, but two leftist tiers tumblers with your membership, as well as early, sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. That's tonight. Wednesday, October 7th, 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific. Join us. Get 20% off your all-access membership with code DEBATE when you sign up today. You are listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So Biden has been, you know, basically counting on the fact that you're going to forget that he was vice president of the United States when Barack Obama was president, but also remember that he was vice president of the United States when Barack Obama was president, by which I mean he doesn't want to be tied to any real aspect of the Obama record. He just wants you to have this warm, glowy feeling about him the same way that many Americans have a warm, glowy feeling about Barack Obama. Because when it comes to his actual record, it sucks. So the other night, he did an NBC News town hall. Now, it turns out, by the way, that this NBC, in in just another indicator of how crappy our media are, that NBC News town hall, it turns out, was stacked with Biden supporters. Not kidding. Okay, this is according to the Washington Free Beacon. The Washington Free Beacon flagged that there were two voters who were supposedly undecided voters at this at this town hall event for NBC News. One's name was Peter Gonzalez. The other was Ismael Yano. They both questioned Biden at the October 5th town hall conducted by NBC in Miami. They were identified as undecided Florida voters. Gonzalez, who said he was an attorney in Coral Gables, used his slot to ask Biden what he could say to make people more comfortable voting for him. He said Cuban-American and Venezuelan voters here in South Florida are being targeted with messages by the Trump campaign claiming a vote for Biden is vote for the radical left and socialism and even communism. What can you tell people in my family, my friends, that would make them feel more comfortable voting for Biden and Harris? Gonzalez, by the way, did appear on MSNBC August 21st as a um, Republican for Biden. He was not an undecided voter. He was a Biden voter. Explaining his position that day, Gonzalez said, if we get four more years of Trump, good luck. Good luck with the future attracting younger voters. Yano was introduced by Lester Holt as someone who, quote, voted for Hillary Clinton four years ago, but has voted Republican in the past. He also appeared on MSNBC this, that, that same day. He praised Biden's message as, quote, what defines America is possibility. Holt also introduced another attendee of the town hall, Mateo Gomez, as a first-time voter. MSNBC featured Gomez as recently as September 30th, where he told a correspondent, Ellison Barber, that he would probably vote for Biden. So in other words, they had three undecided voters on that NBC News panel all three of whom were open Biden voters, which just shows you where our media are. Anyway, Joe Biden was asked specifically about about Cuba and about Russia. And Joe Biden was like, remember that time that my boss, Joe, my boss, Barack, whatever his name was, remember that time he was really hard on on Cuba and uh, Putin. And and I I like oatmeal. Here is Joe Biden. I have taken on the very people that, in fact, we're worried about. I've taken on the Castros of the world. I've taken on the Putins of the world. I've taken on all these dictators. I haven't cozied up to them. I'm the guy that's been straightforward with them. I'm the guy that's let them know it stops here. It stops with me. It stops with me as president. I am no more a socialist than, uh, or a communist than Donald Trump is. Well, I won't say it. Anyway. So, I mean, that's that just a, it's a lie. It's an overt lie, right? When you actually look at his policy, Barack Obama was making cozy with Raul, like literally making physically cozy with Raul Castro in non-COVID style. I mean, like really getting up in his grill and they, they were best friends at a baseball game in Cuba and they're holding hands. I mean, it was real weird. It was, it was Barack Obama and, and Joe Biden who made room for Vladimir Putin to take over Crimea and Syria. But don't worry. You're not supposed to remember that. You're supposed to just believe what Joe Biden is telling you now because, after all, he's the nice old man who's going to tell you that he doesn't like when people are mean to each other, even though he is one of the meanest players in in partisan politics for for the last, you know, several decades. Here was Joe Biden at Gettysburg yesterday decrying extremist groups. He'll never mention Antifa here, right? Antifa is an idea. It's not a movement. We have no need for armed militias roaming America's streets. And we should have no tolerance for extremist white supremacy groups menacing our communities. If you say we should trust America's law enforcement authorities to do the job as I do, then let them do their job. God, he's such a liar. Without extremist groups acting as vigilantes. He's just such an unbelievable liar. He's such an unbelievable liar. 
He hates the cops. Okay, he says things like the cops are nice people, but also they're systematically racist. The, the entire policing system is systemically racist. Either he doesn't know what the term systemically racist means, which is possible because he's an idiot, or he knows exactly what it means and he's just a liar about his affinity for the police. Maybe the only effective debate moment for Trump was when he said, name a police group that supports you. And Biden couldn't. Because of course, he doesn't have police supporting him. And when he talks about people menacing American streets, are you kidding me right now? It's the white supremacists menacing the streets of Portland, menacing the streets of Chicago and LA and New York. Literally two nights ago, BLM was breaking windows in downtown LA. In Portland, the idiot leftists are about to elect a member of a self-declared member of Antifa to the mayoralty. But don't worry, Joe Biden is going to Joe Biden is definitely going to be a bulwark for moderation. Okay, so just remember, remember, again, this is the message of today's show. Remember that when you elect Joe Biden, you're not just electing someone who isn't Trump. You're electing Joe Biden. You're electing Kamala Harris. These are the people who are going to be in charge of the country. And you know who else is going to be put back in charge of the country? All the folks like John Brennan. So according to Fox News, the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, on Tuesday, declassified documents that revealed former CIA director John Brennan briefed former President Obama on Hillary Clinton's purported plan to tie then-candidate Donald Trump to Russia as, quote, a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server ahead of the 2016 presidential election. Ratcliffe declassified Brennan's handwritten notes, which were taken after he briefed Obama on the intelligence the CIA received, and a CIA memo, which revealed that officials referred the matter to the FBI for potential investigative action. The Office of the DNI transmitted the first declassified documents to the House and Senate Intelligence Committees on Tuesday afternoon. A source familiar with the documents explained Brennan's handwritten notes were taken after briefing Obama on the matter. Brennan's notes said, quote, we're getting additional insight into Russian activities from redacted. Cite summarizing material. Alleged approval by Hillary Clinton, a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian Security Service. The notes state on July 28th, in the margin, Brennan writes POTUS. That section of the notes is redacted. Any evidence of collaboration between Trump campaign and Russia, the notes read. The remainder of the notes are redacted except in the margins, which read J.C., Dennis, and Susan. Presumably, this would refer to James Comey. Susan would be Susan Rice, and Dennis would be Dennis McDonough, Obama's chief of staff. So the CIA memo, I mean, that, that is really ugly stuff. I mean, what that looks like, what it looks like is that the Obama, cam, the, the Obama team was being informed in real time by John Brennan of laundered Hillary Clinton dirt on Donald Trump with regard to Russia. That, by the way, they knew was false because Christopher Steele was, inacting, was interacting with, as it turns out, a person who's suspected of being a Russian agent for all of his bad intel, and it was being laundered through the Amer through America's intelligence services. I mean, this is like devastating stuff. My supposition throughout Russiagate was that it was founded in good faith and that people then took it too far because I always attribute to stupidity as much as I can without attributing it to malice. When you have John Brennan writing in his handwritten notes that we know Hillary Clinton is attempting to stir up crap and then he's feeding it directly so Obama knew about it also, and then the intelligence services investigated it anyway, and decided to falsify FISA warrants in order, FISA warrants in order to go after people like Carter Page. This starts to look a lot like the worst of the theories, the worst of the sort of dark conspiratorial theories about the um, uh, about America's intelligence services. Ratcliffe said, to be clear, this is not Russian disinformation and has not been assessed as such by the intelligence community. A source familiar with the documents told Fox News. The allegation was not disinformation. The source said this is not Russian disinformation. Even Brennan knew, or he wouldn't be briefing the president of the United States on it. There's a high threshold to orally brief the president of the United States. He clearly felt this met the threshold. Another source familiar with the documents told Fox News, this information has been sought by hundreds of congressional requests for legitimate oversight purposes and was withheld for political spite and the belief they would never be caught. So this is really disturbing stuff. The Clinton campaign and the DNC, through the law firm Perkins Coy, hired Fusion GPS and ex-intelligence officer, Rich, uh, British intelligence officer Christopher Steele, to author and compile information in that Trump dossier, the anti-Trump dossier. And of course, that was used as the basis for that FISA warrant against Carter Page. And now it looks like it looks like Brennan was informing Barack Obama the entire time, not only that this investigation was underway, but also that they knew that there was a, a proposal from Hillary Clinton to vilify Trump by stirring up the scandal. If they were complicit in that, that is, that, that is insane. That is insane. Paul Sperry, the former D.C. Bureau Chief for Investors Business Daily, who's been on top of this stuff, he says, when all documents are finally declassified 
and all the redactions are removed from reports, the nation will see that the FBI and CIA not only knew the Russian collusion allegations against Trump were a political dirty trick, but that they were in on the trick. In other words, that, that Brennan and company fully knew that this was a trick and they decided to activate America's intelligence services on behalf of Hillary Clinton, which is just, I mean, that is a breathtaking scandal if that turns out to be true. So yesterday, Donald Trump released a tweet. He said, I have fully authorized the total declassification of any and all documents pertaining to the single greatest political crime in American history, the Russia hoax. Likewise, likewise, the Hillary Clinton email scandal, no redactions. So could that redirect all of this stuff? Could that change the nature of the race? Theoretically, if it turns out that that the DNI has now declassified, has now declassified information suggesting that the entire intelligence apparatus knew that this was a Hillary dirty trick and decided to take part in the dirty trick, that is astonishing stuff. So we will see if that is um, we will see if that is backed up in the coming days. Because if so, that's not only is that bad; those are the people who will be back in power, right? Those are the people who you will put in back back in power, the John Brennans of the world, to again militarize America's intelligence services, which is deeply disturbing and uh, and troubling stuff. Okay. Meanwhile, the media prefer to focus in on President Trump, and as usual, President Trump tries to take center stage. Uh, as I've said, I said this yesterday. I said that if Trump loses by double digits to this doddering old fool and his radical comrade vice presidential candidate, then that is, if you lose by, if you lose a little bit, I understand. That's just, you have overwhelming forces arrayed against you, right? If there are overwhelming forces that are arrayed against Trump in the media, in the Democratic Party, in Hollywood, and those are very difficult forces for anybody to overcome. John McCain, Mitt Romney, doesn't matter, anybody to overcome if you're a Republican particularly. Okay, but, if he loses by double digits to Joe Biden as the incumbent president, then at a certain point, you're going to have to say this is on Trump. That was not meant to be like a concession of the election. What that is meant to do is convince Trump there's still a month left and he needs to change tax right now. He needs to change tax. Because here's the reality. If you believe that Donald Trump is the only person who can win, and if Donald Trump is not to blame for losing, what you're really suggesting is no Republican will ever be president ever again. Now, maybe that's true and maybe that's not. But that seems like a rather pessimistic message. I, I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. I think that Trump can win this election. I think a Republican who plays this right can win the election in spite of all of those various allied forces. And I mean, none of that is to downplay the power of those forces. But if you want Trump to win, he needs to do a better job, obviously. And what that means is not making the kinds of mistakes that he made yesterday. Okay, the fact is that putting back in power the Obama team would be disastrous. Barack Obama was a deeply divisive president. I think he was transform. I think that he fundamentally transformed America. I think he did succeed in his quest. And I don't think it was through Obamacare. I don't even think it was through DACA. I think he fundamentally transformed America by taking a country that was ready for racial reconciliation and then tearing it apart for his own political benefit by creating an intersectional coalition that he believed would radically change the nature of how American politics was performed, in which we would pit the races against one another again on behalf of Barack Obama. And then we would hope that the the new majority minority America in terms of voting doesn't really exist yet, right? I mean, the fact is the vast majority of the voting base is still white, but basically white liberal allies combined with the intersectional coalition that they would be the new majority in American politics and you could simply ignore the, the wants and desires of the rest of, of America. It was all about base turnout from now on. Barack Obama fundamentally shifted the nature of American politics and then Donald Trump was sort of a reaction to that. Well, you know, as we move toward the election, you need to be reminded that Barack Obama's team would be back in power. Michelle Obama, who continues to be portrayed by the media as a non-political figure, she's deeply political, and she was always deeply radical. I mean, it's easy to forget, but before she became the second coming of Oprah, Michelle Obama was the lady who said in 2008 that she had only been proud of her country one time, and that was when they nominated her husband for president. Well, now Michelle Obama's out there saying that Trump is a racist, divisive failure, and that he has created, he's sowed division, yeah, the Obama administration sowed an awful lot of division, an awful lot of division. Right now, the president and his allies are trying to tap into that frustration and distract from his breathtaking failures by giving folks someone to blame other than them. So what the president is doing is once again, patently false. It's morally wrong. And yes, it is racist. Okay, he, he, again, the, putting these people back in power, saying that everything is racist, that's going to be a big mistake. And this is why it's so important that Trump 
shift, that, that he shifts strategy and that he swivel this boat. He's got to turn the boat. If the boat doesn't turn, then those people are going to be back in power. The John Brennans, the Michelle Obamas, the Barack Obamas, the Joe Bidens, the Kamala Harris's, your mainstream media who have been who have been twisting the narrative every minute of every day. They will be weaponized to a degree you have never seen before. They really will. They're trying it on social media right now. They are trying to leverage the power of the media in order to pressure social media to shut down conservative messages. That that power is out there every single day. They're angry that shows like this one are successful. They're pissed off that anybody on the right deigns to have a media outlet that doesn't repeat the narratives of the New York Times. They're going to leverage every aspect of that power should Trump lose. And this is why Trump needs to get it together. He does. This is encouragement for Trump. This is not a critique. This is encouragement. Dude, turn it around. And what you can't do is what Trump did yesterday. So yesterday, Trump made a, a bizarre move. He tweeted out that he was going to end negotiations over additional COVID-19 stimulus. Okay, so he first tweeted out that he was basically done, which is really dumb. Okay, this was 2.48 p.m. This is 2.48 p.m. Eastern time yesterday. He said that he had told his administration's negotiators to end the coronavirus stimulus talks with Democrats until after the November 3rd elections. He said, I've instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election when immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small business. He added that he had asked Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to focus full time on confirming Amy Coney Barrett in the Senate, which, of course, is going to happen anyway. This is political malpractice. It is so bad. Okay, the reason it is so bad is because the fact is that Nancy Pelosi had owned the failure here. Nancy Pelosi has been holding up a relief package for months at this point for no reason whatsoever. The Republicans have proposed a clean relief package in which American families got 1200 bucks. Republicans proposed spending $1.4 trillion. That is a lot of money. $1.4 trillion in another relief package. And Democrats turned it down because they wanted the states bailed out. They wanted localities bailed out. They wanted Andrew Cuomo's bills paid in New York. And Republicans said, no, we need a relief package. We don't need an Andrew Cuomo bailout package. That's not the same thing. And Nancy Pelosi had basically walked away from the table. The failure of the relief package could have been one of Trump's talking points over the past couple months. You forgot about it because Trump was busy tweeting about whatever. But the fact is that that should have been a chief point, right? Is that the Democrats want to shut down the economy and then not provide you the relief you need. They want to shut down, they want to lock down everything, not allow you to go to work, and then block any relief bill in the House. And that's egregious. That should have been the narrative. Instead, Trump yesterday tweets out that he's going to end the relief negotiations before they even hit the election, like until the election. It's just a complete blunder. It's a complete unforced error, obviously. Well, about a few hours later, four hours later, Trump reversed himself. And then he tweeted out the House and Senate should immediately approve $25 billion for airline payroll support, $135 billion for Paycheck Protection Program for small business. Both of these will be fully paid for with unused funds from the CARES Act. Have this money. I will sign now. And so he realized about four hours later he'd made a boo-boo and that unilaterally declaring that you were not going to sign a relief package or negotiate for one right now is a bad move four weeks before an election. Right? That's, the stock market, by the way, plummeted like 300 points as soon as Trump tweeted that because people were automatically assuming that Congress was not going to, they couldn't, no one could be foolish enough to stop a relief package permanently here. Right, so Trump made an unforced error there. It was big boo-boo. How big a boo-boo was it? Susan Collins, who's running a rough re-election campaign in Maine, she said this is a huge mistake. She said waiting until after the election to reach an agreement on the next COVID-19 relief package is a huge mistake. I've already been in touch with the Secretary of the Treasury, one of the chief negotiators with several of my Senate colleagues. When the pandemic began, Republicans and Democrats in Congress worked together successfully to take quick sweeping action, allocating nearly three trillion bucks since March to respond to the crisis. Passing the bipartisan Paycheck Protection Program I co-authored that has provided more than $2 billion to 28,000 main small businesses helping to sustain 250,000 main jobs. That's the same approach we need to take now to continue to provide support for the health and safety of all Americans. Mitch McConnell immediately came out. He said, no, 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 we're, we're still negotiating here. Nancy Pelosi, for her part, she was so excited. I mean, that grin that is normally stuck on her face simply because of, uh, simply because of the Botox, now it's stuck on there because she was actually happy. She apparently told Democratic lawmakers that she thought that it was because Trump was high on steroids. According to two sources on a DNC phone call, she said Trump's thinking might be affected by steroids he's taken to treat his coronavirus infection. Pelosi said in a statement, complete, clearly the White House is in complete disarray. Walking away from COVID talks demonstrates that Trump is unwilling to crush the virus as is required by the HEROES Act. McConnell said he stood by the president's position. He said, I think his view was that they were not going to be able to produce a result. We needed to concentrate on what's achievable. It's because McConnell doesn't want to draw too much daylight. But 
you know, Trump got it right later in the afternoon. Then he tweeted in favor of COVID relief. It was a brief boo-boo. And now look for the media to play that brief boo-boo into a, a giant overarching policy change with regard to a relief package. Right? It's an unforced error by Trump, and the media will undoubtedly double down and turn it into a major issue day in and day out from here until the election, even though it's very, very clear that Nancy Pelosi is the person who's been holding up the relief package. Now, speaking of COVID, speaking of COVID, uh, worth noting that the NYPD last night, uh, under the tutelage of Bill de Blasio, they broke up a Sukkot celebration in New York. So as you know, I am not a fan of the fact that so many Orthodox Jews have been out in the streets getting together. There's been a, I care about all American life. I care about Orthodox Jewish life as well. I have many friends in the Orthodox Jewish community since I'm a member of the Orthodox Jewish community. People who are gathering together in large crowds and shuls, it's a mistake. That does not mean that it is not wildly hypocritical for Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio to simply target the Jews in New York. It's pretty amazing, actually. Okay, so here was video last night of the NYPD trying to break up a Sukkot celebration. There are a bunch of people out in the streets celebrating the Festival of Booths. Again, don't do this, guys. Um, but the NYPD breaks this up. They, they should have brought their Black Lives Matter signs. Then the NYPD would have been forced to back off by Bill de Blasio, clearly. So this was a, a bunch of uh, Hasidim who are dancing in the streets. Uh, and the NYPD is actually pushing them together. Like, I, I feel like this is a bad strategy. They're pushing them closer together, the celebration in the middle of the street. Now, again, I, I actually don't have a problem with the police breaking up large-scale gatherings without masks at this point. My question is, why didn't they do this for months when it was a Black Lives Matter protest? Was it okay when there was a giant crowd painting Black Lives Matter on Fifth Avenue? So Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo, it's the selectivity that's really the problem. Jimmy Vilkind, who is a Wall Street Journal reporter covering New York politics and government, he, uh, he put out a statement. Uh, this is a statement from various different members of the, of the Brooklyn political establishment. New York Senator Felder, Eichenstein, Jaeger, and Chaim Deutsch. They said they were appalled by Governor Cuomo's words and actions because Governor Cuomo came out and said, basically, the Orthodox Jews have to be stopped. He said, we are appalled by Governor Cuomo's words and actions today. He has chosen to pursue a scientifically and constitutionally questionable shutdown of our communities. His administration's utter lack of coordination and communication with local officials has been an ongoing issue since the start of the pandemic, and particularly recently as we face this uptick. But we are representatives of the hotspot neighborhoods. We have been disincluded from conversations with the governor. They say what occurred today can only be described as a duplicitous bait and switch. The governor informed Jewish community leaders in a conference call synagogues in quote-unquote red zones would be permitted to operate at 50%. He requested a community cooperation. And then outrageously, he announced a draconian return to restrictions that would shutter thousands of New York businesses, limit houses of worship to a maximum capacity of 10, no matter the capacity of the building. Even worse, his rhetoric has been irresponsible and pejorative, particularly to a community of Holocaust survivors and their descendants for whom his language was reminiscent of past verbal attacks on Jewish communities. Okay, so again, it is not wrong to, to break up large-scale gatherings to prevent COVID. It is definitely wrong to target Jews while you are perfectly willing to blame systemic American racism for upticks in COVID. It is demonstrative of the intersectional coalition's viewpoint on politics. And when there's a significant uptick in a black community, and then video emerges from that community of people holding giant parties in indoor spaces. I remember early on in the pandemic, there was a, there was a video that came out of Chicago of a giant thousand-person house party in Chicago. Everyone there was, was a person of color. This was not covered by the media at all. But when Jews gather in a synagogue in large numbers, that, of course, is a big story. When Christians gather in a church, that, of course, is a large story. The double standard is absolutely telling. I have a single standard, which is be responsible and don't spread COVID if you can avoid it. The, the, the members of the Democratic Party, however, have a deep and abiding double standard. The double standard is that you should be afraid of COVID if you are an Orthodox Jew, but apparently if you're protesting for Black Lives Matter, you should not. Andrew Cuomo yesterday, he came out and he said that when Trump says don't be afraid of COVID, you should be afraid of COVID, it can kill you. But apparently not if you're protesting for the right things. Here was the Andrew Cuomo yesterday. From a public service point of view, 210,000 people died. More people... Uh, die in this country than uh, countries around the world that were doing much uh, worse than we were. From a public service point of view, don't be afraid of COVID. No, be afraid of COVID. It can kill you. Don't be cavalier. Don't be cavalier unless, of course, you're protesting for the right reasons. Again, I agree. Don't be cavalier. Uh, I, and, but, but two things. One, Democrats are simultaneously promoting panic 
about the virus, which is not justified. Concern about the virus is justified. Precautions about the virus, those are justified. Panic about the virus is not justified. And simultaneously, if you protest for the right reasons, then we should just pretend that racism is a quote unquote public health problem. And that's totally okay. It's the double standard that's driving many Americans up a wall. Okay, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. And of course, tune into Daily Wire tonight to watch Matt Walsh be forced to suffer through the Kamala Harris-Mike Pence debate. We'll be back here to recap all of it tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Liberals don't get why masks are political, because they don't understand politics. Facebook censors President Trump for encouraging people, and Michelle Obama calls us all racists. Again, check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 